On paper, you'd think this was going to be one hell of a train wreck. But then you listen, and you realize common sense doesn't have a party, an ideology, a stereotype, or a color. Can we be united again? Stick around, and we'll prove it. This is Doc in the Block. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doc in the Block podcast. I'm here with the greatest music producer in the history of the world, Big Block Spencer. Block, how you doing? I'm doing fine, man. Y'all know who I be, your boy, Big Block. Ryan Sideways with the number one. I'm talking in the world, on the planet, <laughs> orthopedic surgeon in the world. Scott, what's happening, baby? I'm chilling, man. Uh, you were down there at my daughter's horse show yeah, man, uh, last it, weekend. We were hanging out. We finally had some nice weather, yeah. but uh, that was always a good time. Block and I are going to be getting up on the horses here pretty soon. Yeah, man, that's my. So we could get some footage of that. Yeah, that's my little secret, little passion. Little bit, <laughs> you know, I got to be a the black cowboy. You know, I saw Malik is uh, Malik looks like he's killing it up. Oh, and I'll man, miss you, man. Great man, he's doing great, man. Doing great, man. Appreciate the surgery, man. Keep that show in place. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We need that shoulder locked in place. Yeah, Malik, uh, his son is a blue chip five-star football recruit starting at Michigan State as a freshman. And uh, like in the first month of practice, he dislocated his shoulder and we had to do surgery. He had the Ed Quinn thing going on, but we got it fixed. And in a a few months, he's right back out on the field. So that that was awesome. But I'm so excited today about our guest. This person is not only an amazing big timer. He's uh, my fraternity brother. He's my brother in real life. He's my really close friend and somebody that I respect immensely because he really has lived the big timer life. And uh, he's going to have an amazing story for us today. Welcome to the show, Ed Quinn. Ed, thanks for Doc and the block. Thank you guys so much. It's so nice. Scott, obviously, I, you know, every time I get to hear your voice or see your face is, uh, is a beautiful day, Doc. It is. And Mr. And Mr. Block, thank you so much for, for having me on and bringing me into your space. Uh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. So for our audience, I know most of you probably, he doesn't need an introduction, but most people probably know him as the president on Tyler Perry's The Oval. I know him as my uh, fraternity brother, my rugby teammate, my life friend, um, somebody, like I said, that I really admire because Ed, I know personally, I know for a fact in my own life, I've watched him go through so many uh, setbacks uh, so many obstacles in life. And he's just another one of these people, Ed, we're always talking about how whenever we look at uh, successful people or people who are in positions where we would like to be, and we always say, wow, wow, that person is so lucky, you know? <laughs> and it's like, when I think of you, you're, you're killing it now, but I do not think of you and luck in the same, in the same, uh, you know, thought. So no, I think it was it a Johnny Cash. Uh, I think it was a Johnny Cash uh, quote. Uh, if it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, you know that's and, and that's and that's not you know all poor woe is me. That is life. That's yes. the one thing that you have to you have to ex- understand the fact that what's going to sound like bad luck or sound like people are out to get you or sound like you know you know you you've been singled out. Everybody is has to deal with the ups and downs of life, and you just never quite know what your uh, trials and tribulations are going to be. Um, but it's uh, you know the the, the the true fortitude is being able to to sort of be patient and and weather them. The one of the things that I really appreciate too about your journey is you're a guy who you know had a lot of bad breaks along the way, but you really did enjoy the journey. I mean, it's funny here. It's like I think of us when we were kids, you know, and then uh, here we are as grownups, and it's like I've kind of seen the whole thing. You know what I mean? As an observer, I've watched your career uh, grow, and you know, I've I've you know followed you forever, and uh, it's like, man, you know, you look at you now. And it's just like, wow, sometimes I wondered if that was ever going to happen. I know you must have had those thoughts. Talk to me about the things that put your mindset right. Because I've, I knew kind of the college age Ed Quinn, which was, you yeah. know, not the finished product, but the guy I knew was, you know, a hardworking guy. When I think of you, if I was just to sum you up uh, in one word, I would just say generous. You're just a generous, happy guy. Uh, you were one of those people, just a positive person always smiling, always laughing, always bringing something positive to the table, no matter what we were doing, if we were practicing, if we were training, if we we're at the fraternity, having a party or whatever. I mean, you're just always that guy, but you know, you also were that guy, like your shoulders kept dislocating. You were there to play football. You were there to play rugby and uh, you know, you just got some bad breaks. So tell me a little bit about the things that set 
young Ed Quinn up when you were like a young kid and in middle school and things like that? What what was it that gave you your strength, your fortitude, and your your vision? Well, I mean, what uh, Scott, that you know, I've almost got tears in my eyes. It's such a, a it's, there's nothing better than having someone who you love and respect so much uh, speak so kindly of you, you know, um, in 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 such glowing terms like that. So, so I do appreciate that. Uh, next, next round of beers is on me, buddy. Um, you know, I, I had a, I had a really actually kind of amazing childhood in that I grew up in Berkeley, California. My father was a professor at Cal and we grew up just over the Hills from Berkeley. So I grew up just above Tilden park. So I kind of had this sort of, you know, Huck Finn, you know, life out the back door, you know, Lake Anza, Tilton Park, fishing, running around. And then out the front door is Berkeley, California in the 70s and 80s, which was wild. I mean, it was a wild place. I feel like it's even it's it's much more contained now. Um, as crazy as California is, Berkeley doesn't have the same uh, uh, volatility it did when I was a young, you know, middle schooler. And by the way, that's back in the day when, you know, your, my parents put me on the bus to go to school. I went to uh, school, the Madeline and St. Mary's High School yeah. uh, in Berkeley. And, um, you know, they put me on the bus. And I mean, I, I saw some wild stuff, you know, in the 70s as a second, third grader going all the way down through through Berkeley <laughs> and stuff. So it was, um, and you know, and I say this with all humility and, you know, opening by saying, <clears throat> you know, I, I never I never really made it in athletics. Um my father, who was the number one baseball player in the nation, uh, you know, he was in Sports Illustrated, batting 471, left-handed first baseman. Wow. You know, he said to me a couple of years, like three or four years after after uh, I graduated, Cal, like, you know, gently like, well, you know, I, I guess your, you know, your athletic career is kind of over, you know. I mean, you know, but you, <laughs> he, basically what he was saying was – he never really was pushing me. He always pushed academics because he didn't. He knew what pro athletics was was like. But the long of the short of it was, he was like, "You did have the ability to be." And I mean this. I, I mean, I was an elite athlete. I'm six yes. foot four and a quarter. Yeah. I, I I ran a four yep. five in high school. Yeah. Um, I I I was a, an all league. I could have gone to college to play football or or soccer. Um. And and like you said, Barbara, it's great having a, a surgeon on here because you you can you know really uh, you know edify people about the reality is my body didn't fall. I had my first major surgery as a junior in high school. The, the it was the surgeon from the 49ers. There were three football play uh, three football coaches in the um, in the uh, operating room at Alta Base. They were trying to keep me together. Because they're like, this kid could be really special. And so I missed my junior year of football, came back as a senior, started getting recruited. Yeah, Joe Cap at Cal, got to Cal. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I, I had other things dislocate too. My ankle, my, I, my, I always had good knees, which is weird. Everybody has bad knees. My knees are phenomenal. My knees are indestructible. But everything else would get broken, get smashed. And, uh, and then there was a coaching change, and I met all you guys at, at – uh, you know, in our fraternity, and, and and I saw the beauty of rugby, and I just so wanted to be a part of that. And you know, first season, I don't know, I, I think I broke two fingers and yeah, had a disc slip out in my neck. Yeah, and then you know, my my sophomore year, you know, up at UC Davis, I'm laying there on the ground, my shoulders out of the socket. The referee is literally puking. Jack Clark is. <laughs> so disgusted at the referee who's dry heaving at the look of me. And, you know, it was, do I want to do another surgery? And back then, this surgery took a year, yeah. you know, where they, they, they tied your arm all together. Yeah. You had to tear all. I just couldn't do it. And then it was all of a sudden, just like that, snap of the finger. What? Who am I? What am I going to do? Like, I, I don't, like, I'm a history major. I don't, I mean, do I even like history? Am I, am I going to law school? I don't know if I want to go to law school. And so trying to transition from, you know, to having all I'd ever known was athletics and academics and, uh, you know, uh, sophomore year after my second, I just figured out how to play rugby. I didn't even know the rules. And now that's gone too. And um, it was, it was a really weird, scary kind of, kind of lonely time. Cause yeah, I mean, like I, you know, and, and I actually, I really appreciate you know, I remember like, I re- you bring that up, Scott, because I remember you guys all getting ready. Like, 
Uh, 88, we didn't win a national championship, but 89, you guys did, no, I think. 87, 87, we didn't. 88, we did. Yes, that's what it was. That was. So, yeah, so I was just sitting there, you know, with my arm in a sling, you know, like watching you guys go all go off, and I'm, you know, so proud of you, and, and, and just like, but also it's a weird thing when you, you know, you start seeing all of your friends and your and your teammates and your and everybody you know going off to to you know, accomplish their goals and you're just this slug sitting on the you know in the stands um, you know and I like you know, and you guys would travel and it was back then you couldn't you know we traveled to go see the rugby game so I'd just be sitting there on the couch with fraternity waiting waiting for you guys to come home hope you hope you won you know there's no cell phones there's no there's no internet there's no way to watch the game or anything and so it, it was it was uh it was a pretty pretty brutal you know one of those brutal setbacks that you have to then recalibrate you know everything in life and which is it, it's tough to do it at 19 20 years old yeah i can remember thinking like here we got this guy he's a special athlete you, you know like mm-hmm. you said you're six four you're fast you you were you were an Good absolute boy. stud and and i mean not only that but you were like built like an adonis too and i just kept wondering like dude when are you coming when are you coming back and i was like oh it's yeah. this injury and that injury and i just remember thinking like what is going on yeah. um and and being depressed for you you know what i mean <laughs> it was like that's yeah. how that's how meaningful it was so how did you deal with that you know a lot of people you know you know, don't handle that sort of thing in a positive way. But I mean, you just, you had this ability to always kind of shift gears and yet you always kind of had a positive outlook. Like, I don't remember you being, you know, down in the dumps or like, oh, there's that again to bring us down. It was the opposite. You were always like the life of the party. And just, you know, when people would see you walk through the door, it was like, oh, there's Ed, you know, it's like, we're going to have some comedy and we're going to have some uh, good fellowship kind of thing, you know, as we used to say. And, uh, how, how did you do that? Well, I think cause the most, cause that, that is the most important stuff, you know, the, the relationship you have with your friends and with your family and the energy you bring to stuff. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, uh, I, I kind of feel like my, you know, my life was, was, uh, you know, to that point was, was pretty fantastic. I had a, you know, an amazing mother and father, three younger brothers and sisters, uh, friends, you know, I, I grew up and it was the first time I had to really take it on the chin. And, you know, the one thing that I found, like, look, there's, there's no glory in it, but I, I, you know, I've always loved surfing. I've always been, you know, it, it's, it's just, I'm like a, 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 you know, a bird that comes home every day to the ocean. Uh, I, I need, I almost need to know where the, the sea is to sort of calibrate, you know, where I am. Atlanta is always tough for me because I don't know where the ocean is. So I don't know where East and West is. Um, and, you know, up in California, you know, this is, you know, we're talking eighties. So this is early days. There weren't a lot of surfers, but being now it's very famous that ocean beach is one of the biggest, best beach breaks there is. And, I just started, I kind of threw myself into surfing and like, I'm not built to be a surfer. Surfers are gymnasts. You know, you want to be five, seven, uh, you know, 140 pounds with a lot of fast twitch muscle. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a tight end in, in, in the NFL. I'm a meathead. So, but I could still make it work. And there was a challenge to that, at least personally. Like, I mean, I remember, I think I remember you at one point, like it was, it was finals and I was coming back from surfing, you know, with like, Sandy Wetsuit at the board. He's like, dude, did you have any finals today? And I'm like, yeah, I do a little bit later. But I mean, that's, I, I would drive over and go surfing, which was kind of thought of as like, you know, something you go do to go goof off, you know, like go bowling or go, I mean, I'm bowling is a sport, I guess. Um, but, you know, like, like the go, I'm going to the beach. I'm going to a beach party, like a knucklehead. But I wasn't. I actually wasn't going surfing as a, uh, you know, as some, you know, just to go goof off. It was, you know, I go to the park to play frisbee. I was going for a different, like to give myself some sort of purpose and some sort of drive. I started surfing contest down the coast. Now, look, I was never even going to be a, a, you know, a, a good amateur surfer, but I was going to be, and I have, I've surfed, I've surfed the rest of my life. I travel all the time. I've been to Indonesia dozens of times. I've probably surfed, I think I surfed 20 something different countries. So I found a little thing that was athletic that I could keep my shoulders in my socket for the most part. I actually dislocated one again, but that's another story. Um, and then, uh, and so I had a thing that I could throw myself into as a, you know, air quote athlete, but
But then it was, what am I going to do with my life? Because now we're getting into my junior, senior year at Cal. And it was a, you know, a lot of guys were coming back, guys in our house, you know, like some yep. of the alumni, the guys are graduating, coming back for football games, you know, and you're there and getting them beers and running around and they're going to law school. And I had a couple guys come back and look at me and just say, don't do it. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't do this is hard, hard. Like, if, I mean, unless you really want to do it and don't, this is, this is not what I thought it was going to be. My, my life, you know, every, every, all I'm going to achieve is more work. You know, I mean, it's like, it's, you know, it's so it's, it's, uh, and I, and I, and I started like, and it was a big real estate time. And I started trying, I took an internship with Colwell Banker through some Cal guys and I was going to go do that. But then there was this one day that I'm out at Ocean Beach, San Francisco, and I'm changing out of my wetsuit. And this guy comes cruising up to me. I'm literally like in a towel. And he comes up and he goes, hey, you ever uh, thought of taking some photos? <laughs> now, obviously, normally I'd have jumped in that car and driven away because this is the beginning of a Dateline episode, yeah. right? This yeah. is how this is how I get sex trafficked, or you know, my organs end up getting sold on the black market. Like the last thing you do is get in a car with <laughs> with this weirdo and go down to the Castro and shoot some photos at his studio. Now you don't do that, but ah. Uh, Bunch of guys at Cal from Southern California had come up, and they had uh, modeling books. And at, you know, all through um, our fraternity brother H. B. Drake got me a job at Casa Rinda, uh, parking cars. Yeah. And back then, I think the 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 <laughs> I think the 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 minimum wage was five fifteen an hour. So you do these three hour shifts, and you'd make anywhere from you know thirty to fifty bucks in tips, depending on the night. And it was a great job. I mean, that was a phenomenal job for a college kid. Well, these knuckleheads from SoCal with their, their silly little modeling books, they would go get a, they'd have a beeper, you know, like a, who <laughs> had beepers back then were doctors and drug dealers, but they would have these beepers that would beep, and then they would call this agency, and they would tell them they have, oh, two hours with Macy's at $150 an hour. And I was like, What? And some of the guys took a year off and they went to Europe and they got like, you know, European tear sheets. You know, they did campaigns for Armani and stuff. Those guys would have day bookings for $1,500 a day. Now, that kind of money today is phenomenal. Back then, that was a fortune. I think my rent at my apartment my senior year was $250 a, a month. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, so I, I I did it. I went with a guy. I took some photos. They're kind of weird, but um, it got me an agent, and it got me sort of started on this new sort of path. Where when I graduated, I was I was literally I graduated uh, fall of ninety. It's it's the holidays. I have to move out of my apartment. I guess I'm moving home. Um, I'm gonna start this Coldwell Banker thing, and then I get a call. And I've been booked into the shows in Paris and Milan. And do I want to go? And I called my dad, who had just done a lecture tour on the old, he'd uh, flown the old TWA Airlines, and he had a frequent flyer ticket. And he goes, well, for graduation, why don't I give you this frequent flyer ticket? Because if I get there, I have jobs booked. I have the shows booked in Paris, Milan, and Barcelona. And if I get there, I've got, I've got work. Um, so he gave me the ticket. The Gulf War just started, so first Gulf War. So I, uh, you know, I'm flying. My plane is seized in Madrid. I lose my bag. I mean, I have a, I literally have a piece of paper with an address on it that when I get to the airport, I got, you know, this, again, remember, pre-internet, pre-cell phone, pre-all this. Yeah. So I just land in Europe. I'm trying to find a, a random address in Barcelona. Um, I missed the jobs. I actually missed the shows in Paris because the plane. Because something happened with the war and the, they couldn't, the plane wasn't allowed to, to, to fly or something crazy like that. Um, and uh, and yeah, and then I ended up getting there and, and then it became this whole thing where now I've gone from being at a university, number one university in the world, surrounded by the smartest human beings in the, in the world. I mean, people don't understand, but, you know, Scott back then was as driven and as focused <laughs> On on b both rugby, but also you knew you were going to be a surgeon back then. 
Like you guys from Punahou come different. Like you know your your your, your buddy who came over as well, Kimo Chun, another fraternity yeah. uh, brother. I mean, he knew he was going to be a, a, an oral surgeon. He knew he was going to be a dentist. And you guys were so driven and so focused. And you know, it, it was it was one of those things. One of the best things about going to Cal was being around guys like you who have this insatiable focus and drive. And you know, so all of a sudden now I'm in this business, which is like. Wait, so I just wandered around with pictures of myself and hope that somebody picks me out of the blue to, to stand there and do their advertisement campaign or do their show or do their commercial. Um, it was a real tough reset because uh, it suddenly I was in, a, in an industry that was not a meritocracy. You couldn't work hard better. You, you couldn't work every day to get yourself better. You don't to be a better model. You're either uh, photogenic or you're not. And that became a real tough reality that, you know, I, my father's a Rhodes Scholar, and I now hope that this guy will choose me to stand around in my underpants and take photos. And just so our audience knows, <laughs> you're, you're not a dumb guy. I mean, you're, you were a very smart guy. You could have been, you know. I got into, yeah, no, I, was, I, I, I got into Cal. In fact, I thought I was going to go to UC Santa Barbara. That's the one place I really wanted to go because I've always loved surfing. And, but I had the grades to go anywhere. I'm at, what did I have? I think I have, now they have all this weird accelerated 4.5 grade point average. Then it used to be 4.0. Yeah. I think I had a 3.85 and I had a, I don't know, 12 something on my SAT. Yeah. I was right there. You know, I, I got into every UC. I uh, was thinking about going to Princeton because that's where my, my dad did his, uh, got his PhD. Um, so, you know, it, and, you know, but also I loved being around really smart folks because you learned so much from them, not just about, uh, not that they were just super smart and, you know, like everybody in our fraternity could, you know, we, our GPA was like, what, a 3.5 at Berkeley? Um, you know, our house GPA. I mean, you just had some of the smartest guys in the world. They're also knuckleheads who ran around and drank beer and got in fights all the time. But they they were they were so smart. They were so dedicated. They were so responsible. You know, they didn't miss finals. They didn't make excuses. They, 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 they were just grinders. And you learned so much about their work ethic and the way they organized their life. And yeah, they may have this incredible IQ, but that's that's just half the game. You've got to apply yourself. And so I, I probably learned more about like being smart, like having a smart lifestyle from from the people at Berkeley than I did about actually like trying to like be a genius because I kind of realized I wasn't. That, that that's gold right there, Ed. I mean, that's one of the things that we always talk about with our big timers. Is number one, uh, you know. If you want to do well, you got to hang out with people who are successful and do what you do. You know, that's the whole thing is emulating success. Uh, My father used to tell me all the time, if you want to be successful at something, find somebody who's already done it and do what they do. And you never get to get around the hard work, you know? Um, You know, the other thing is uh, developing yourself in terms of um, understanding what are the habits that make people successful, you know? I always tell people the only thing I really learned at college was if you stay up all night and I uh, don't get a good night's sleep, you know, you're not going to be at your best the next day. Uh, yeah. but, but it was a piece of information that was important, you know, and I, I added that uh, to my list of things. And, you know, we talk about um, the people that are successful have positive daily habits. You know, I'm, I'm rereading Adam Smith's um, The Wealth of Nations, you know, and uh, yeah. that, that's a tough book, but I'm reading it with my you know, my 57 year old brain and experience. And it's a lot different than the first time I read it. And he talks about that. There's no real difference between human beings of any significance other than their habits. And I just, that really stuck out to me because, you know, like when I look at block, you know, block is um, successful uh, as a music producer, but his habits are the same as a surgeon, you know, as an accountant, as an attorney, you know, he's on time, he gets up early, he takes care of his business, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you had all of those qualities and, you know, the one thing that you had that I thought was, I, I remember this back in the day too, cause I was not like this, but you have always had this ability to roll with it. Gary Hine had the greatest ability of anybody I've ever seen to just roll with it. I mean, that guy could wake up in a prison cell and still manage, <laughs> to, have, still manage to have a great day, you know, 
But uh, you, you, you had that ability too. You got a lot of bad breaks and everything, but you never dwelt, you know, you never dwelled on like, oh, woe is me. And you just kind of rolled with it. You just kind of did the next thing and the next thing, which sort of seems to dovetail into the life that you found because there is a lot of rolling with it, but you enjoyed the moment and you've enjoyed the journey. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I mean, all of those points are, are incredible. And, you know, backing up, like you were saying about, you know, um, Block, you know, his work ethic that he, he could be a music producer or a surgeon. You know, my wife was uh, Will Smith's, uh, she was president of a TV company for about 10, five, 10 years or something. And, you know, I spent a lot of time around the Smiths. This is going back like 2006, you know, to 2010 or so. Um, and I saw his work ethic. I mean, here he was at that point, the number one movie star in the world, but still is the way he would train, the way he would eat, the way he would always be in the offices. So, I mean, like he would, he would, he would almost be working too hard because he always, he just, he probably knew, you know, the fragility of, of the entertainment business. And if, you know, he always said like, you know, I, I may not be more talented than you, but I'm going to outwork you. And there is something to be said about that. And, you know, it's something, it's interesting, you know, Gary Hyde was a legend. Um, and I mean, I guess I have an ability, yes, to roll with stuff, but you know, look, I'm Northern California. I'm, I'm A's, Raiders, Giants, you know, uh, uh, 49ers. But I remember hearing Tommy Lasorda talk at some point. I don't even know what it was. Somebody was complaining about something, you know, bad break or stuff. And he said, you know what? Before you ever complain about anything in this life, why don't you just head on over to St. Jude's and go to the cancer yeah. ward and talk to some of those kids? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, 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 like, like I hear this. It's like not even – I don't even remember the context of what he was talking about or who, who he was telling to shut up and stop making excuses. But that is that is always kind of struck me because, you know – Oh man, I can't play Division One football or Division One yeah. rugby anymore. Oh, I was so sad. Oh, I went to Europe to model and I didn't get the Armani campaign. Yeah. Whoa, he's been... shut up. Yeah. Shut up. You got you got friends like Scott out there that love you. You got people. You know, can, can you call your mom and her tell you that everything's going to be okay? I mean, if little things like that. I mean, do you have a do you have a great great coffee shop that you love or, or, or a little bar where you can go watch your favorite sports team, uh, you know, with some people that, that, that share your, your, your values and your, your neighborhood experience. I mean, those, that's the gold in this world. That's, that's the, if you have little things that you like, forget about what everybody else thinks. I think this is the toughest thing about social media right now. Everybody, yeah, you know, we used to, everybody used to geek out on little stuff that was just theirs. Like right now I'm releasing all this music. I'm releasing all this, you know, because after the, you know, we, we get into this later, but, you know, after the, the modeling years, I, you know, transitioned to come to, I realized when I was there that I wasn't going to be a model. And you know who told me I wasn't going to be a model? Gianni Versace himself. <laughs> I'm at the show. I, and I, and I, runways, yes, I was doing runways, but I'm, I'm big. And back then, what they would do is they would, they would use, they would, uh, you know, do the, the collections, the runway shows, what they really are is they're showing the clothes for the next season. So they design all the clothes. They would do these runway shows, take a bunch of pictures. Those pictures would be released, and then all the clothes would go into uh, production to be released. So if I'm doing, you know, uh, if, it's, if, it's, if it's like right now, if it was this summer. So if it's summer 2023 and I'm in Milan, um, back then because there was, you know, production delays and everything was on this, this kind of cycle – um, I would do the shows and then all those clothes were be coming out a year from now. But for the, for the, for the collections, uh, you know, runway shows maybe, but for like, especially for the photos, they would only have one size and it was a 40 regular American over there. It's 50 regular. Well, I was a, you know, when I leaned out and got rid of all that frat fat and, you know, you, you and me all yoked up in the ASUC, you know, lifting weights all the time. I was still maybe a 40 too long. I was not a 50. So the clothes didn't fit. And, and well, I'm backstage at a show, and Gianni Versace comes up to me, and he goes, darling, listen to me. You are not a model. Yeah, I remember you. You are, you, you, are, you are not beautiful. You're handsome. You're an actor. I want you to go to Rome and uh, work with uh, this agency and do some movies. Um, and I had already kind of had, like, connections back in Hollywood because – 
uh, you know, my modeling agent in LA said, you are by far the smartest model I've ever met in my entire life. And he introduced me to a huge agent. That's kind of how that segue. But I realized like, hey, man, I may not be like, you know, model guy handsome, which, you know, again, but I look okay on TV. And if I can figure out how to string words together and understand, you know, text, because because you remember, Scott, like I, you know, I never studied drama at Cal. I didn't, no. st- I wasn't in school plays in high school. So now I'm going to make this big switch and coming to LA, I all of a sudden am in Los Angeles and, you know, it was, it, it was similar to, but not quite as bad, amazingly, as trying to make the switch from football to rugby. You know, football to rugby, it's still dudes. There's a ball. We're, we're going head up. You got to learn the rules. I don't have helmets and shoulder pads. But the switch from like, oh, now when I go to like these, you know, a car commercial in, in, in L.A. is one thing. You know, you're just kind of the dude in the car. But you start trying to get television shows and you're trying to get movies and you're now up against guys. I mean, some of these dudes were savages. They're, yeah. they're, they had stage moms. They've been acting since they were three. You Ed, got twenty. Ed, you're bringing up a really good point here. Um, so, you know, I, one of the common threads that we talk about on this show is as you're going through life, we, you kind of come across these people that we think have some great insight into the way the world works. And they tell you, you can't do it. I remember sitting across the table from uh, the head of the medical school at the University of Hawaii. And he just looked at me and he just said, you don't have what it takes to be a doctor. And I just remember Whoa. that. I just oh. that punch in the face and, you know, Gianni Versace, you know, he's telling you, you know, you don't have what it takes to make it in the industry. Um, but, you know, you have this belief in yourself and you also brought up another good point about uh, social media. And we have this um, environment today where kids go on social media and I'm, you know, I'm always teaching my kids just about everything you see on social media is not true. You know, that's not what they look like. That's not what their lives are like. Uh, you know, people are are portraying a fantasy vision of what they are and it gets under kids' skins. And, you know, what is it that, you know, we got a lot of inner city kids there that are, you know, they're, they're trying to turn away from gangs. They're trying to turn away from drugs and things like that. What do you have to say about, you know, these kids who are in middle school and they're trying to decide what the, what their life is going to be about, about things that they can do to sort of get off that path and get off that merry-go-round and go in a different way. I mean, you were good at doing this, but, you know, joining a sports team or joining a club or something like that, what kind of advice would you give to these inner city kids that are kind of at risk and they're just trying to not, not end up in prison? I, uh, you know, I, yeah, it, it, and this will sound kind of like, I, I, I wish I could speak to every single one of them and find out what kind of little geeky thing they like to do that nobody else knows about and teach them to build a fence around that. Yeah. And I I have so many hobbies and I I was, this was a long way back to like, I'm releasing all this music now. Yeah. This music is all stuff that I, I had a whole then band years when I got here to LA and now, you know, 20 years later with the, with the internet, with all this technology, I can release all this music. I can shoot all these music videos. I love it. Do I, you know, am I, am I going to try and, am I think I'm going to make a living on it. Am I, am I, am I releasing it? Cause I think I'm going to be like a 55 year old rock star. No, I'm doing it cause I like it and I love it. And I've got a great job and I've worked, you know, I've had this, you know, for 30 years, I've been grinding in this business and I've, I've got a great acting career. I'm so lucky. But I also have, you know, the kind of surfboards I ride. I ride these weird kneeboards from from Australia. I, I I ride a very, I love snowboarding, but I ride very weird snowboards. I ride swallowtail snowboards, and I have a double positive stance. I found all these little things that I geek out on that I don't need to promote to anybody. I don't need to tell anybody, but I fish a lot. I have a whole crew of guys a tuna are starting to move up from tuna, from from uh from mexico right now my first day tuna season starts next wednesday i'm so geeked out i'm in my garage trying to tie knots because i don't want to be the googan on the boat who hooks a big fish and my my line snaps all this weird little stuff that i like to do keeps me me and the, the one thing is, and it doesn't matter what it is if, if it's if you like dungeons and dragons if you like pottery if you like you know what is if you like collecting i you know uh uh you know antique 
NBA uniforms, whatever there is, if you have little things that you think are cool, don't ask anybody if they think it's cool too. Don't put yourself out there and like, you know, put pictures of it on the internet in the hope that you're going to get some kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, affirmation that what you're doing is cool. If you think it's cool, if you think it's fun, if you think, if it's something that, that, that excites you or intrigues you or just, you know, what, you know, I, Idle hands do the devil's work, right? I mean, a, a, uh, Robert Duvall, I, I, he had this one great interview in which he said, people said, how are you so, you know, your life is so, uh, is so balanced. You seem to be, you have this incredible career. You're so famous, but you're also, you know, so grounded. Why? Hobbies, he said. Not cool yeah. things that I'm going to put on the internet and like, you know, not things that I'm trying to to show up and blow up and like all this kind of stuff and sell some company and make some brand or something. No hobbies as in like, that's yours. Don't do anything else. This is something that's really key to being authentic. You know, you and I, you and I hadn't physically seen each other probably in, I don't know, 25, 30 years. You came out here and we went and had breakfast and uh, caught up in all this time. I, you know, I've been with you through social media. I've kind of watched your life and everything like that. And I know we kind of touch base every every decade or so just to see what's going on. But, um, you know, this idea of um, being true to yourself, you're exactly the same guy. And I mean that in all the best ways that I knew when I was, uh, when I was in school. I mean, you're not like, hey, listen, I'm a, I'm a movie star now and a supermodel. You're just this regular guy because, you know, you're focused on authenticity and block. Yep. I mean, talk about this. Did you ever see yourself being, uh, you know, a three-time Grammy award-winning music producer when you were laying in a jail cell <laughs> at 17? I mean, that how kinda, did you, how'd you turn that on? I kind of stumbled it, you know, kind of stumbled on it. You know, Ed, like I'm from um, LA too. I'm from Watts. You know, I'm from the other yeah. side where you're from. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that kind of helped save my life was music. Like I was, yeah. you know, came up rough in the streets, came up through the gangs, um, you know, chasing the dollars, just like the average black teen trying to make it, not trying to blame nobody else. You know what I'm saying? No excuses. And yeah. um, and and the music been it changed my life because I could. I mean, I've always wanted to bring people with me. You know what I'm saying? I've always wanted to save my my crew. Like what? Like like coming from like what was your like like your plan A was sports right your plan A was sports what, I mean do you think that the um the acting kind of saved your life like from depression from not being to make it or you just took it like okay I, you know like Scott Scott jokes about you know what I'm saying like him not making it all the time these two kind of yeah. do you know what you know this gonna save my life from going this other way like you know like what's in your life to save what. What's something that you did that you felt saved your life? I, you, you know what I think it might be? It, it's that beautiful thing that Scott just said that, yeah. you know, I don't see him for 20 years and I'm the same person and I'm really happy to see him. Uh, and I try and I try, I, like, I don't, this isn't, it's not something that I'm doing um, consciously, yep. but I, I do believe that, you know, the more kind of, love and joy and generosity that you put into the world. Hey, sometimes you're going to get punched in the mouth, yeah, absolutely. but, but also, you know, I actually, I actually do. I feed on that. I feed on other people being really happy around me. Yeah. I feed on other people being very successful and, you know, look, I got a lot of friends, yeah. my two best friends from that. I know Scott knew one of them. He's a guy, Cal. Um, Jimmy Miller and, and Eric Goslin, um, who's, I, these are both guys that I met back there in the eighties and they both can, went through this business with me together and neither one of them are here and both of them took their own life. Wow. It, this is a very, I work with the Jimmy Miller foundation. Now we work with a lot of kids. We work with a couple of, uh, halfway houses in Watson and South central. Wow. Um, we, I do a lot of work with the wounded warriors. Uh, uh, we, we use ocean therapy. Because what we do is we get these kids or we get these wounded soldiers out to the beach. And then we, you know, they've been through incredible trauma in their life, whether it's, you know, their their neighborhood growing up, the violence that they've seen, the violence that they see at home or the violence they see overseas. And they've, you know, now they've come, you know, their whole life was saved. You know, I'm down there at Camp Pendleton and there's some Marine who his whole life was being a Marine. And now he is, he's beat up. 
and I, you know, like physically and, you know, like traumatic brain injuries. And, you know, these guys, some of these kids have never seen the ocean. You know, they live, I mean, I, I, I tell you, Doc, I can almost that? see, I can almost <laughs> see what's from, I'm, I'm on the second story of my house. I'm in the South Bay of Los Angeles, which I was, I'm just, just west of where you grew up. Right. And right. some, uh, you know, a large percentage of those kids where I could almost, I could, I could, I could walk there in an hour. Yeah. They've never seen the ocean. Yeah. They, can, they don't get off their city block. And so we bring them to the, you know, they come to the ocean, you know, their eyes are wide open. We're now we're taking them out. We're, we're pushing them into waves. They're surfing. And the whole point of ocean therapy is to be like, okay, that looked in, impossible, right? Yeah. Like the idea that you were going to go in the ocean where either, you know, you've lost a limb, you've got a traumatic brain injury, you've never seen the ocean, even though you grew up three miles from it. And now all of a sudden, you're not just at the beach, but now you're in the water, you're getting pushed into waves, you're standing up, you're catching waves. That was something that you never thought that you would be able to do or, or, or you know, could, could even wrap your head around, right? Yep. Okay, now let's take that and apply that to your life. Because now you got to go home and you're going to have to navigate that, you know, less than ideal home situation, the the the, the chaotic situation at your school. Like you, you, you're trying to study, but you got a lot of people around you that aren't. How are you going to overcome that? Or, you know, every day trying to keep the demons in the back of your head, you know, that are sprung up because of the, you know, the, the, the trauma that you 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 uh, you suffered in Iraq or Afghanistan. Um how are we going to get you to every day remember this experience of doing something like surfing and and, and apply it to your daily life? And um, it, it's been an incredible journey with the Jimmy Miller Foundation. Um, very, very rewarding. We've helped so many kids, so many soldiers. But again, you know, it would be like me talking right now about the Scott Barber Foundation. At the end of the day, the, the one thing that I remember is that I – we didn't have the tools then to save Jimmy. Um, and so, you know, whenever I say the Jimmy Miller Foundation, that's always that, you know, in 2004, I failed to get through to my best friend. Yes. And we lost him. And so, you know, what you guys are doing, one of the reasons I, I, I think this podcast was so amazing, and I, I, you know, I was hammering Scott saying I want to come on it, <laughs> is because – if you can trying to get, you can always say it. I can sit here and tell stupid stories about modeling and all this kind of stuff, but trying to find each individual kid and trying to get that message through and yep. trying to get it to resonate, trying to get the, you know, to be the catalyst, to allow it to sort of harden in them that, you know, as hard as things are around you, there is a path out. There is a light. It's just, it might take a little bit of work, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be a whole lot of sadness and hardship. Um, but man, if you can, if you can, if you can stand the test of time and 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 work through it and play the long game. Yes, my career. Yes, is the, the long epitome, game. The epitome of the long game. I mean, I had so many opportunities to be an A-list star like that. First choice, all you know, past the finish line. It was almost like a, a an official review. Took yeah. the, take, you know, snatched the victory, you know, uh, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, snatched the victory from me. Um, and so, and, you know, and it's, it's real hard to then regroup and lose everything and fail with a capital S. Cause by the way, you either, you know, you, but, but you, you lose the, you lose a lot of battles. You just try and win the war. Um, yeah, and bring, that in a good way. You're bringing up a really good point too about this is the kind of thing that I'm. The, this is really kind of for me and Block. This is the genesis of the Doc and the Block podcast is understanding when you're in middle school and you know you're you're you got a tough life going on. You got you're dealing with gangs and maybe your home life isn't the best and everything, but there are possibilities out there and the possibilities mm -hmm. are endless. And if you can just find it within yourself to be honest, to have integrity, to be generous, to do hard work, to persevere, to not quit, to have no excuses, that opportunities present themselves along the way and you can never see them. I mean, that's the one thing I think about your life when I was thinking about talking to you on this podcast, just because I know so much of your story. It was just, you know, heartbreak, failure, failed potential always there. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. 
you had everything in the world to be a great athlete. Didn't happen. You had everything in the world to be a model. You know, you had to work at it, but you know, you just had that, that, um, never say die. You never quit. You never got discouraged, or at least you never let your discouragement affect your ability to keep moving forward. Um, that's the key, Scott. That, I think that's the key. Cause, cause then I went, while I was studying acting, I started this band and this band blew up. We're headlining the sunset strip yeah. and we get the record deal and the whole band implodes on me yeah. and the music and the whole music industry changed. It went from like grunge and rock and stuff to like new metal and boy bands. And there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Again, wah, poor, your, your rock band didn't get to go. This is when we, you know, one of the, I think one of the things that, you know, people are kind of talking about it, but they're not is mental health in this country. Yeah. It is it is so important. And I have been around, unfortunately, so much suicide. I have lost, I think I've lost nine people and three of them, not just people I know. I mean, these are people I knew well. So yeah. three best friends, six people that I knew well. I've witnessed, this is the weirdest thing, I have witnessed three people commit suicide, strangers in front yeah. of me. I mean, it is it, it is it is something that, it's one of the reasons why I, I like working with the Jimmy Miller Foundation, why I want to come on here. People have to understand that when you're dealing with the kind of trauma, whether it's, you know, a really tough home life, you know, intimidating gangs on the streets, uh, uh, you know, a school that's dysfunctional. Um, you've come back from the theater of war that there is the emotional trauma from that can break you in a big way. And, and when you have huge disappointments, you know, you see it with athletes and musicians and actors all the time when that, you know, whatever run they were on ends, they all of a sudden fall into this despair, start yeah. making terrible decisions. They become violent towards people that they love. They turn to drugs and alcohol, um, and they end up ruining their lives or die. You know, and this and, is the kind of thing that's really important, Ed, is, you know, I talk about it with my kids. And actually, Block actually helps me with this because I think you're better at dealing with this. You know, Block Block rolls with stuff better. I, I would actually say that's kind of one of my weaknesses. I, I internalize a lot of stuff. I, I stress unnecessarily, and it's like – I, I kind of want to pass on to other people, like, don't worry, you're going to fail, but you're oh, also, yeah. also going to succeed along the way. And when I talk to my daughter, you know, my oldest daughter, she, you know, Sydney, my yeah. block takes care yeah. of everything. And she talks about having anxiety and, you know, through social media, we have this unrealistic vision of what we think everybody's life is supposed to be. And then people get this anxiety and they think I'm abnormal. And I tell my daughter, like, anxiety is normal. Like you need to learn to deal with that. Be anxious. I, I go, you don't think I'm anxious in life. I'm anxious all the time, but I learn how to deal with that. And I use it, you know, sometimes anxiety can be good for you. You know, it, it focuses you, it keeps you alert. You know, I always said when I was in medical school, a little bit of fear is a good thing. Too much fear will paralyze you, but a little bit of fear keeps you on task and it keeps you motivated. And I think we got to help a lot of these kids understand that when you're going through these emotions, you're not abnormal you're completely normal. You just need to learn to deal with it. And what you said about hobbies and about relationships and, and setting yourself up with good people, that's the road to success and emulating well, oh, people. Absolutely. But also, and there's another way to look at it too, is to embrace it. Yes. That's you know I mean, it. embracing anxiety just means that you're like alive. Yeah. That you're, a, that you've got some, there's some stakes in your life. Yeah. And, Instead of looking at it, like letting it like bury you and paralyze you and you want to go hide, do, do you want to be bored? Do you want to not have anything that gives you anxiety or if you there back it doesn't really do it anymore, but back in the days, you know, there used to be something called pilot season in in, uh, in television. And that's where all the networks, you know, in the spring would, you know, send out all the scripts for the pilots they were gonna make and the audition process would start. And the audition process was ridiculous. I mean, it was it was it, it would it would almost set you up to fail. It would be a thing where you go and you read with the casting director. Casting director says, "Hmm, okay." They say take you to the, the the directors and the producers, and then and then that was like kind of the big one. If they were like, "Oh no, this guy could be the show," so now you do something called a test deal, and you would sign a test deal, and you would go for the studio test, and you'd go in front of like all these studio execs and the producers and all of casting. And if you got by them, now you had to go to the network test. 
And the network test, you would sign the paperwork, look at all that money that you were going to you know, possibly get. And now you would walk into this giant, cold room. And I mean, they would, they, they just it set it up like it was like the Coliseum. You felt like you were just, you're going to your death. And there was just all these people out there. Now, everybody you've read for, they're not happy to see you. They're terrified because they want you to get the job so bad. But they, you got to get by the network. And there'd be all these big network execs just sort of sitting there with their arms closed. You know, it may be 8 in the morning and you're having to do a comedy. Or it's like Friday and everybody's tired. And you have to do some super long legal drama. And you're up there and you come walking in. Everybody's quiet. All these people. And then there's this terrified casting director now, the casting director who was so cool before. It, I mean, a- actors would lose their minds. Like it was this whole thing in which, it, 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 you know, you want the job so bad, you're 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 so anxious, you're 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 literally about to have a nervous break. I saw actresses have nervous breakdowns. Actresses trying to take like you know beta blockers and stuff because they're 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 literally going to pass out in in the waiting room and. I had these seasons where I would do this six, eight, ten times a season and not get one. Yep. Not get – because I was always up for the lead of the show. So it would be me and I'm going up against movie stars and all this kind of stuff. But I loved it. And my my, my, my acting coach was probably like, I need you to come talk to all the kids and explain to them why you love it. And I said, you guys, do you like driving around in your car and – and going into like auditions with you know some casting director who doesn't care and you're not right for the role you're gonna that's so boring that to me drives me crazy if I'm at this point if I'm in the what do you want to be do you want to be in the stands watching the Super Bowl or do you want to be on the Super on the field but lose Ed that's Ed, that that is awesome stuff I love you brother thank you yeah, so much for being you, on the Doc in the Block podcast you are absolutely a big timer we're going to have you back on the show everybody Tyler Perry's the Oval my my good buddy and brother is the uh, star of the show I need you guys to all check it out Big Block have an amazing week we need to follow have everybody follow us DocintheBlock.com BigTimers.com we'll see you guys next week Block yeah, see you later baby.